Are you ready to get cooking? Yeah. Count me in. All you need are the right ingredients. Interviews. Home Cook. and every day. Crazy people. What a lovely meal. Welcome to JJ Jackson's Food Tips. The basics and beyond. The gourmet kitchen is indispensable. Now. 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 The doctor of funk himself, J.J. Jackson. Wow, J.J. Thanks for joining us again for another edition of Food Tips, The Basics and Beyond. It's the lifestyle show that's all about great interviews, chefs, home cooks, and everyday crazy people. We'll be taking some call-ins with special guests, home and restaurant recipes, if we can get them away from the chefs. And if we can't, we'll give it a best guess and see if maybe we can try them at home. If you love great food, great recipes, or you just want to learn a little bit more about what you're putting in your mouth, this is the place for you. Food tips, the basics and beyond. Hey, this is JJ Jackson. I'm really happy with the experience I've had starting my show with Spotify for podcasters. It's been super easy to get started. You don't need an elaborate setup. You can even do it from your phone. I love the Q&A for listeners and the polls to keep everyone involved and talking. Believe me, it's worth checking out. Get the Purple app, Spotify for Podcasters, or www.spotify.com backslash podcasters to get started. And in food news, news. time for food news. Food news. On food tips, the basics and beyond. News is good food for your mind. Food news. Kind of a local story, but everybody loves this. The franchise Chick-fil-A's first standalone location shut down on May 20th after 56 years in service. According to the location's Facebook page, the Greenbrier Mall franchise located in Atlanta is permanently closed. Businessman Truett Cathy opened the spot in 1967, nearly two decades after launching his first restaurant, a diner now called the Dwarf House in 1946. It's a great place. Not only was that small restaurant a pioneer in the modern-day food court, it was just the beginning of a company that has since grown to serve customers in 47 states and Washington, D.C. Quite a bit has changed in the decades since Chick-fil-A at Greenbrier Mall opened its doors. Back then, customers had to pick from just a few items, including the original Chick-fil-A sandwich, then just 59 cents, salads with boneless chicken breast, lemonade, coleslaw, and lemon pie. Those iconic waffle fries were only introduced to Chick-fil-A in the 1980s. In the years since, Chick-fil-A has ballooned to 2,300 franchise operations nationwide. What an amazing success story. I have my good friend Natasha Capper on the phone with me. I've known Natasha maybe, oh, about 10 years, 10 or 11 years, something like that, Natasha? At least. Yeah, it's been a while. Uh, Natasha is a pastry chef and a really good one, too. Uh, she works in Atlanta at the Piedmont Driving Club. And N- Natasha, tell us a little bit about your background, where you're from, where you grew up, that kind of thing. I was, I, I grew up in probably the least likely place if you see me, see a picture of me. Um, I actually grew up on what is now Zimbabwe. Oh. Um, and we immigrated to the U.S. when I was um, about 12 years old. Uh, so went to middle school, high school here in the U.S., um, and during high school, decided that I really loved to cook. This was this was the career path I wanted to take. And I went to I went to a private uh, preparatory school. And of course, you know the you have the conversations with the guidance counselors, and they're like, "What do you want to do?" And I said, "I want to be a chef." And they said, "What?" 
<laughs> they had no idea what to do with me. None. And I actually had, there was actually one of them who said to me, why would you waste your life like that? And I was like, well, clearly you're not going to help me. So my, my father, um, you know, asked around to found out about a food show that was happening in Orlando. We went and there was a booth for Johnson and Wales university and one for CIA. And we spoke to them at length and uh, I ended up deciding to go to Johnson Wells University because they had a campus in Charleston. Yep. Um, so not quite so far from home. I was a little intimidated at the idea of going up to New York on my own. Right. But uh, it was the best thing I could have ever done. Um, did an externship during my schooling at the Grove Park Inn up in Asheville. Wow. And that was amazing. That was such an incredible experience. So much so that when I graduated, I actually went back and worked up there for a couple of years. And that's when I really got into the pastry. I was hired into the bake shop and uh, was like, this is this is it. This is what I want to do. And uh, funneled my funneled my career path in that direction. Johnson and Wales in Charleston. Is that gone? I think it's gone now, isn't it? It is. They moved to Charlotte. I didn't even know they had moved. I thought they'd just closed. Uh Wow. So many of my friends graduated from Johnson and Wales in uh, Charleston. Uh, a lot of the people I worked with uh, when I was in food service, Winston Industries. And I mean, they all loved that school. We had the most amazing instructors. I mean, I still have a closeness with Chef Carl Guggenmoss and Chef Michael Coons. They were two of the most influential chefs in when I was, you know, learning and coming up in the industry, and I have just the utmost respect for them. Chef Carl is the father of my ex-boss's wife at uh, Winston, <laughs> and uh, he also, his son, he was a school nutrition chef in Hillsborough County Schools in Tampa, Florida. Now he's uh, working recipes with Hawaiian rolls, so it's such a small world wow. when you look at all this stuff. It's, it's just amazing. It is. That is incredible. I don't think I've ever tasted anything that you've made. That is entirely possible. That is one of the funny things about working for a private club. I see the things you made and you made and I, uh, you know, I, I can't believe how you do all that work in the first place. Uh, when it comes to cakes and large events, I mean, it just it just blows me away. Now, if you watch a little food TV and you watch the cake baking things, you know, a lot of people learned about fondant, for you know, example. Now, they, they know how you wrap a cake just because they've watched that. But the funny thing is a lot of people who watch food TV don't really want to cook. It, they, just wanna, they just want to see how it's done. What was one of the greatest uh, uh, cakes or pastries that you've put together? Can you, can you recall a couple of good ones or one? Oh, gosh. Well, I know, we did a cake a few years ago, and the bride wanted a huge cake. I mean, she wanted this cake to be at like eight feet tall. Wow. Um, and it was a monster. And thankfully, it was we it was what we called a faux cake. So one tier reel for the cake cutting, the rest of it's styrofoam, but it all looks like a cake, which, thank goodness, because, I mean, that thing was too big and it would have been too heavy to have even lifted it onto the table. Not to mention the integrity of the table may not have held either. <laughs> yeah, that's just like little known secrets that a lot of people don't even realize. Is just, it, it's either not all cake 
or it's uh, or it's just a or it's just a fake cake. <laughs> right. And uh, yeah. And so we were moving this thing around the kitchen on a flatbed uh, like trolley, kind of like the ones you get at Home Depot. <laughs> pastry wise, uh, what, what do you typically do uh, for pastries? Well, I mean, it really depends. So, at, at, you know, we have several restaurants, so we do all the desserts um, for those. We also do, of course, the desserts for banquets. We do special occasion cakes, wedding cakes. And then we also have a full bread program in place. So we make all of our breads in-house. Lavash, focaccia, uh. sourdough, um, you know, Sally Lunn rolls. I mean, you name it, we do it. I do you when it comes to sourdough now that's that's like a fermented process isn't it yes how do you how do you do that do you have a, a mother in place that you use over and over again we do so we his name his name is Seymour as in <laughs> feed me Seymour and, a little shop of horrors <laughs> that's right and uh, anyway I've had Seymour for probably about 20 years Wow. And, uh, yeah, we just perpetually, we use him, we feed him, and uh, we do nice things for him, keep, you know, keep him warm when he wants to be warm, give him a little cool down when he needs to, like, settle settle back. And, uh, yeah, it, it, it's the most wonderful process. Explain for me uh, what it's like to be in the uh, pastry department as opposed to, like, main kitchen. What's What's that like? Um, one of the biggest differences that I, that I've noticed is in the bake shop, you have to work much further out. Very few things are just one step. So it, when I say that, I'm talking about if you have a tart. So you need to make the tart dough. You have to chill it. Then you make the shell. You bake the shell. You then make the filling. You, and then you, you know, do whatever else is going to go with it. Um you know, you garnish it. So it's a multi-day process. Mm -hmm. Whereas in the kitchen, you know, if you're going to roast a chicken, you grab that chicken and okay, you may, you may put it in the cooler, you know, to let it dry out for a day. Right. But really that's not terribly hands on at that point. But ultimately when you pull it out, you season it and you put it in the oven, that chicken is done. It's a pretty simple process sort of one step yeah um same day you're like ready to serve or you know put to hold for a while until it actually will be served uh exactly when it comes to staff uh in a in a place where where you are you're in a pretty exclusive club uh how much staff is in a a, a typical main kitchen oh gosh we probably have about and I could I could be off on this. I want to say there's about 40 cooks, stewards that handle the restaurants and the main ba and banquets and employee meal service and that kind of and garbage. Um, in my department, um, it's myself. I'm the executive pastry chef. I and then there is the pastry chef. Um, and then we have a supervisory position, which is a junior sous chef. Mm hmm. And then we have four a la carte pastry cooks and two bakers. Wow. Are you? So it's a big team. And now every time I've been to a pastry department in either a club or a large hotel, or I've uh, been to the pastry department in a club or a large hotel, I've uh, it always seemed like it was down in the basement 
in a dark <laughs> place. And if anybody I, wanted to get there, they had to go downstairs to get to it. I love my hole away from home. And yes, that is completely true. <laughs> I'm down at the bottom of the stairs. We refer to it as the dungeon. And uh, yeah, no, I love my hole away from home. Main reason, the stairs are a fantastic deterrent to people coming to bother us. <laughs> That's great. You don't need anybody bothering you when trying to do some exact science like baking. Uh, exactly. Natasha gave me one time the best advice for warming leftover pizza. And I think we should impart that to our, our listeners because it was so great. And you've actually come up with uh, another way to do it too. So ex explain how you can make leftover pizza taste as good or even better the next day. Okay. Well, I have got to give credit to Verisano's pizza because it was what they had written on their box and it works beautifully. But you put the cold pizza in a, in a pan, cover it, and then turn it on low heat and then just let it heat up slowly in the pan covered. And, you know, once it gets nice and hot, you're, it's, it's like, it was like it was almost fresh. Now, you know, and I didn't believe you, and I did that, and now I've been doing it for years. <laughs> it just it makes the pizza taste 100% better. Well, Natasha, thanks so much for uh, taking time to talk to us. Uh, I mean, uh, you've, been, you've been a pastry chef for how long? Oh, my goodness. At, mm, at least 30 years. Wow. Well, you're one of the best there is, and uh, I, you know I cherish your relationship and all the times we go out and eat and really enjoy ourselves, and I just want to thank you for being on the podcast. It was absolutely my pleasure. Uh, happy baking to everybody, and uh, one of these days we'll have to fix the fact you haven't had any of my sweets. Yes, we will. <laughs> Do you know anything about wine? Anything about I wine? think I know somebody who does. Time for Super Wine Guy, Michael Gallant. Oh, yeah. Oh, he knows wine. He knows. Yes, he knows. The original wine connoisseur. He's been to France. Oui, oui. Whether you're looking for good deals on great wine or great deals on good wine, stand by for more food tips, the basics, and beyond. Michael Gallant. I love those things. With my wine. Super wine guy Michael Gallant is back, and we're ready with another wine here. And what do we got today, Michael? This is a, JJ, is a really interesting wine project from uh, southern France, from the Rhone area, um, kind of around Chateau Neuf du Pop. You know, there's 10 or 12 areas. They were known for Chateau Neuf du Pop, this area, forever, and now they've elevated a bunch of other villages um, to the same kind of status level. They're not, but there's a lot of really cool innovation going on. And we've got a wine from a a guy who goes by the name of Xavier, X-A-V-I-E-R, and he's the he's a um, enologist, so he essentially does lab work on wines for wineries, consulting and things all around the road. I've never heard that thing, that thing before. That. Yeah, lab work is really, these guys are, there's a lot, this is why I will never be a winemaker, is there's way too much technical stuff. There's way too much... Um, you know, chemistry and lab work. And I, I don't know anything about that kind of stuff. I just know if it tastes good. So That's right. But this guy's super sharp, nosy stuff. He's been working there for a number of years and um, has a, a ton of clients all throughout the Rhone in Vacheron, Gigandas, and Rastow, and Shout Enough to Pop, and all these places. And one of the things he has done, he gets paid. I'm sure he makes money. But one of the things he's done over the years is, is he'll take wine and payment from some of his clients 
um, unfinished, and then he'll use it to make his own wines. So we're not talking about uh, carrying bottles around like you do. No, no, no. It's the big big stuff. Yeah, it's probably barrels. You know, it's probably barrels that have been. And and it's funny. At one point, I tasted something he had done that was like a twenty-year-old shot enough to pop. And I had I had seen it somewhere. And I met him at a trade show in Paris this year. And I said, "What's the story on that?" He goes, "Literally, I found two barrels of this at a winery." I said, "What is this?" And they go, "Oh, we we just kind of lost it." And it's just been aging and aging and aging, which is really not good ultimately for the wine. But he said, I tasted it. It's pretty good. So I got it from the guy and I bottled it. And so it it, it was released as like a 1987 or something. Can yeah. you do that? I, yeah, you could do that. That's strictly legal. As long, you know, that's the vintage year yeah. that it came from. And so, yeah. but, but so he, he had just amassed all this stuff. And so he started making his own wines and he got really well known for blends of different things. And so the wine we have today, he has a series called the Arcane Series. There's a number of different wines. Uh, they're usually some sort of weird blend. This one is called Le Fou, F-O-U, which is the fool. And it's a blend. It's not vintage dated. So it doesn't. it didn't come from one vintage year. It came from 10 different vintage years, 10 different areas around the Rhone. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just this weird blend. It's evidently 85% Grenache. Oh, I like that grape. And then 15% a bunch of other stuff. Right. You know, so it's supposed to be 13, 14, 15 different grapes. I would be willing to bet that he doesn't know what's in this wine, basically. Really? Yeah. So now uh, the lovely patio furniture is here with us today, our our executive producer. So it's it, she heard wine, and so... Yeah. And there she is. She so, followed her She followed her, followed her. her nose, and she found this, you know? So. That's, that's right. It's, so La Fou... Uh, the Fool, That's a, isn't that a tarot card? It is. And some other wines in this series are, there's one called Le Diable, the devil. The devil. There's yeah. one called Le Soleil. And there's another one, like, I think it's the Lovers or something. So I think they're all based on that. You see on the label, they're the very dark and kind of mysterious looking labels. Yeah. And, um, you know. It's cool. Yeah, very fun, very interesting. Um Again, non-vintage wines tend to scare people. Um, you know, the real wine guys, non-vintage wines scare us. You know, we don't know when it was really. And this is, but this guy knows what he's doing. You know, he just kind of seems to keep coming up with interesting wines. And so let's let's start with the price point this time. See what you know. This one's not um, cheap. I think it was twenty-five in there. Now I had bought some of it a a year ago or something, and it was lower, but. Um, it kind of got discovered. It got big press. It's got 96 points from someone respectable, Venice or one of the, the good reviewers as opposed to one of the bad reviewers. We, we'll have to talk about that on a, a future podcast as different reviewers in the business and who to kind of follow and who to kind of trust. But so big, rich, very ageable, you know, awesome with, you know, I always think wines I really like from the Rhone, I always think lamb. You know, roast lamb on a mm-hmm. spit or, you know. the Dig a very, hole in the ground absolutely. in your backyard. <laughs> exactly. Go ahead, bury it if you want to. <laughs> yep, and, and do a half a lamb or a goat or, a, yeah. you know, something that, you know, you know is going to take 24 hours to cook. Yeah, you know, one, one of those creatures that you can, uh, it, it, that isn't too large to do that with. No, and you, you don't want to do a whole cow. That no, no, yeah, that'd be crazy. And so, you know, a pig, I've seen guys do a whole oh, pig. Yeah, absolutely. I've seen them do you know, a whole goat, a whole lamb, and some sure, of that sort sure. of stuff. And you can buy, people say to me, well, where can you get those things? I said, you know what, go to a good butcher shop, they can special order it. 
in, in a market that, you know, like we're in a major market, there's all these restaurant supply places here. There's I would suggest mm -hmm. that you go directly to a farmer. Yeah, if you got one. You know. uh, and uh, our friend uh, Michael Priest, uh, who's a chef and worked with me in school nutrition for a while, he's a, a, a great chef, and he does this often with uh, with pigs. They roast pigs. Yeah. Uh, there's a farm outside of the area we're in in Atlanta called Comfort Farms. Yep where they uh, raise pigs, where you know where it's coming from, you know the farmer. Yep. You know, you get to the point where you become friendly with those people, and then you get a better idea of what kind of pig you're getting. Sure. I mean, there's a there's a breed called Duroc. Oh, yeah, heritage. Ooh, those things are great. A lot great. of fat yeah. yep. in the back of the neck and everything. Uh, and there's uh, uh, mixed breeds, too, yep. as well. So uh, while this m might be expensive, it's... Yep. If you're a foodie, yeah, and if you can get the wines coming up yeah. on me, it's nice. <laughs> I mean, if you can get access to those family farms that you know that's you can what find they them. do, yeah, they're out there, and certainly we're in a good place. We're in a, you know, we're in a a, a, a state that's got a lot of rural places, a lot right. of farms, but also has a metropolitan area, Atlanta, and so there's a lot of chefs there. They love that stuff, right? And, you know, they they'd much rather support those local farms and buy you know their produce from them and right. and their meats and all that sort yeah. of stuff, and they usually you know, more sustainable. They're more, you know, they're, they're in it for the long haul. So it's, you're getting the healthiest product. Yeah, way. absolutely. So, yeah. They do a really good job. So this is uh first sip, which is the only one I've had so far. How about you? <laughs> lovely patio furniture. Uh, hers is already gone. So, you know, <laughs> well, my, my one gulp was delicious. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> good. It's very, um, it's, it's going to take some time to open up. Got a I little think. Acidity to, yeah. It's got some first. acidity to it. It's got, a lot of structure to it. Uh, it's pretty dark and big. It, oh, that's it, it it will settle down over the next hour or so. Mm. And um, you Who's know, got an dinner, hour. Yeah, by, <laughs> by dinner time tonight, I think I'm going out for French tonight. I may have to keep this bottle, you guys. Sorry, and drink that's it okay. tonight. But um, where would you go for French? Well, I, I love in Atlanta. There's some some good places. I really like a place um, called La Petite Maison. It was a couple of sisters who opened it. It's up on Roswell Road. Right. And then one of the sisters got sick, and well, it was a whole thing, and they had to move back to France. But it's fairly um, – it, it's not it, it's not very regional French. It's very – it's not super fancy, but, you know, they do, you know, steak au poivre. They do oh, frog's yeah. legs. You can yeah. get escargot. You, they have great – French onion soup. Great French onion soup, the best in town. I, would, I don't say that lightly. Um and they do a really good job, you know, and they're they're really nice folks. Um, I go there pretty regularly, and um, um, you know, for me, it's you know, you get you can find so many you know Mexican restaurants in in this town. It's crazy. Any town, any town, yeah. yeah. So many Italian, you know. Right, let's face right. it; those are the two biggies. It's hard to find French. It is. You know, there's maybe only it five is. or six French restaurants in Atlanta, a big right. market, you know. So in the uh... 70s and 80s, there was a French restaurant here called uh, Rue de Paris. Mm. Do you, it, it was like right at Roswell Road and uh, like Far Road. Right. And I mean, every former radio, so the record yeah, yeah. business was, they would take us out. I'm also former record business, so yeah. we'd take radio people out. Yeah. Every time we went there. I mean, it was just, it was the French restaurant. And it seemed to me there were more French restaurants in that era than there are now. Yeah, I think that's pretty true. There's, and there are some other ones in town I like. Bistro Nico, which is part of the um, Buckhead Restaurants Group. Oh, yeah. That's over on um, Peachtree. 
Uh, they have a wonderful wine list, and you know they have kind of it's a, a lot of different stuff. I mean, it's not. It's funny. French restaurants here don't resemble French restaurants in France in any way, shape, or right, form. Right. We were talking there. You almost always see a, a prefix menu. You know, pick a little from here, a little from here, a little from there, kind of thing. Here, it's it's a more of an American incarnation of French, and the food's pretty authentic here. I have found they do a pretty good job, but. Um, you know, there's nothing kind of weird and out there, which you always see on a French menu. You know, there's always sausages and seafood that I can't identify and, you know, <laughs> stuff that you're like, what do you just that? eat it without question or do you? Well, it depends. I always ask. And nowadays, you know, your best friend when you travel internationally is Google Translate. <laughs> and, and one of the things when I go to France, and as you guys know, I go pretty regularly, I always... You know, I always get my restaurant lingo down and my hotel lingo and my wine lingo down. So I'm at least comfortable with that. And um, wine is actually hard because it has a very specific um, words that you don't see, you know. and, and But you, you know, know most of those words. I do, and yeah. so a lot of them I do. But but it never fails. I'll go to a French restaurant and go, I got this. And I'll look at the menu or the specials. It's almost always specials. And I'm go, I have no idea what that third one down there is. <laughs> and invariably it's, invariably, it's a type of fish or something, you know. that uh, but you think about how many different types of fish there are, oh. and I don't know that one. Or it's a cut of beef. Or it's a cut of chicken that I don't know. I know what beef is. Right. I know what duck, I know the translations, all those things, but I don't know, you know, you think about the more specific kinds of as you really drill down into it. So, so yeah, a little surreptitious look at Google Translate. You go, oh, that's, uh, you know, that's duck liver or whatever, you know, so. That is uh, pate, but that's like paste. Yeah, exactly. And there's so many different things. So, you know, the, the French, I was telling you, I was watching a movie and it had a wonderful scene and. In a in what purported to be a Provence cafe, and there were you know they had the Americans, two Americans at a table, and and the woman was ordering a salad niçoise, which is not even close to the right pronunciation, and she wanted it, and she wanted it with ranch dressing, (laughs) (laughs) and she really wanted it with locale ranch dressing. She said, and locale ranch dressing, and then she said, oh. With some bacon bits on it, you know. Bacon's. Yeah. yeah. Bring out the bacon's yeah, for us. Yeah. I don't want real bacon. Yeah. And in typical French fashion, <laughs> the wait person said, uh, there's a McDonald's in Avignon, oh. a city over, and you can get fish and chips in Marseille. Thank you for coming. <laughs> have a good night. <laughs> yeah, have a good night. They wouldn't say that though. They wouldn't say they wouldn't say thank you and good night. They would just say, Don't let the door hit you. <laughs> yeah, you know? Well, we would say that. Yeah. They, they Here. Don't, um, I find them to be a wonderful, warm people, but they don't suffer fools very well. You know? Yeah. Well, this and, is this is getting tastier and tastier. Yeah, it's gonna. I think it's gonna open up a little mm-hmm. bit more. Again, it's a it's a bunch of different uh, Grenache from kind of all over the Rhone, eighty three, eighty five percent. And then there's a bunch of other stuff in there. Syrah, um, Carignan, you kind of name it is in there. So, and I think this wine's gonna last, you know, ten more years easy. It's big. really. It's got a lot of power, and I think it's gonna continue to do really interesting things like this you know you try this in an hour a couple hours i think it's really going to be completely different so i can feel a little bit of uh, heat from this yeah wine. it's a little higher alcohol than i normally how much um 15 wow on the label that's high for france well i don't feel anything that 13.5 no. bogle i can't stop thinking yeah. about that <laughs> that just really that got to me fast yeah. and this is for fi- now, I'm not. You, you see, I, it's it's still in the glass. So well, and, that's because we're talking, we're not drinking. Yeah, know, and so. we're we're actually we're just tasting. We're not like pouring like large, you know, magnums of wine here. 
No, we're just yeah. trying to get a feel for the wine. Right. And, and, um, Doesn't mean we wouldn't do that, yeah. but we're not doing we're, it today right We're now. not above that, but we do have to function <laughs> later in the day. We're taping this early in the day. Yeah, know, so. that's, what, that's the amazing thing about this. We actually get together about uh, 10, 10.30 in the morning, and then we open up wine, and we, and we drink yeah. and talk, <laughs> which is really a lot of fun if you don't do that you should try it yeah exactly for breakfast yeah yeah awesome. I, I tell people you know all the time when i talk about wine this is you know you learn about wine by drinking it you know by tasting it by right. talking about it and all that and 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 that's fun and so and these wines are great you know the good thing i have found out about this is you know now these wines will be ready for dinner you know, they will have opened up by then. They will have that's a good you point. Know, the air interaction really and you, helps You'll these. chill them too. You 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 want to do that with these yeah, reds? Yeah, once you yeah, I like some chill on a red wine. I do always, too. it's supposed to be. You know, you're. I tell people when you talk about um, wines being red wines being served at cellar temperature, what that really means, or room temperature. They're not really room temperature. They're cellar temperature. Gotcha. I always tell people room temperature if you lived in a French chateau you know, with no air conditioning or heating where it's 60 degrees, you know, those rooms are cold and, and wine, red wine should never be warm. I remember going to a restaurant years ago and I looked and I, and a wine came to the table and it was warm. I mean, warm several degrees. And I looked and it was being stored above a refrigerator. Uh, and so whatever heat, yeah. you know, it was coming off the refrigerator. And yeah. I said, and I said, will you bring me a, an ice bucket to chill this? And the, the wait person said, it's a red wine. I said, uh, it's, you know, 10 degrees too hot. You know I mean? And, and again, when you serve a wine too warm, it accentuates the, the tannins and the alcohol. And man, you amaze, you chill it down 10, 15 degrees, you're, you'll be amazed, you know, at what it does to it. So I must always, especially this time of year, we're taping in the su- almost the summer and, and these wines like a little chill, you know, yeah. they really do. Yeah. So. So this is uh, Le Fou. Le Fou, yep, from Xavier, X-A-V-I-E-R, Vignon. That's the name of his company. Uh, it's around some. It's not all over the U.S., but it's online, certainly. I bought this online, actually. And, and you know, it'll, it'll push 30 27 99 30 bucks. But, you know, for a wine, I think of this quality with that kind of a cool story, it's, it's going to be great. Yeah, know, so. yeah, sounds good. That's a wrap on another episode of Food Tips, The Basics and Beyond. Thanks to special guest pastry chef Natasha Kaffer for joining us, super wine guy Michael Gallant, and the lovely Patio Furniture for helping us drink the wine. Dave Parker is our production wizard, and we thank him as well. Anything you want info on, or if you just want to say hi, write me here, radiojackson at gmail.com. Coming up soon, we're going to take a look at wine and food movies and taste a little Italian wine. Should be fun. Come back when you can. Hear me?